would be great to keep your Bible open uh, as we look at this passage. Uh, Let me pray. Uh, Dear Lord, we thank you for your word uh, that you speak to us, and I pray that through your Holy Spirit that I will speak faithfully this morning and that you will convict us of the things that we need to hear. Amen. One of the great humiliations of childhood is standing in line waiting to be picked for a team. Uh, So for me, it was soccer. Okay, so lunchtime soccer. Uh, Ben and Dougald were the alpha males of our third grade. And, uh, you know, as you you line up there, if you get picked early, uh, then you kind of join the team with a bit of a swagger. Yep, I'm one of the good players. Uh, But, you know, if you don't get picked early, uh, then, you know, you start to go through that that process of humiliation. So it starts off with with a bit of defiance. You know, the kid gets picked in front of you and you think to yourself, you know, I'm, I'm better than them. Uh, Then it turns to panic, Uh, just please pick me, Uh, and then finally capitulation and shame where you know that you are last. Uh, Last week uh, we were talking about greed and in particular uh, how we view our possessions and where we get our security. And our world says uh, that we should find our security in our riches. Uh, But God says we are called to be rich towards him and to use our riches for his glory. Uh, So if last week the focus was all about possessions, uh, then today it's all about people. Uh, Because let's face it, we all spend an awful lot of time uh, trying to work out who we are and who we want to be. And we do that in the context of other people. Uh, We look at other people and try to work out what they think about who we are. Uh, Because we all want to be liked, we want to be attractive, we want to be respected uh, by the peers around us. And so we try to act in a way that gains the honour of our peers and avoids shame. And of course, these days we now live in the age of of multimedia, and so we're a relatively finite event uh, that used to just be between you and a couple of friends, uh, can now go global. Uh, And with that comes increased risk and reward. Uh, So our passage today uh, starts off talking about uh, social dinner etiquette, uh, which is all very helpful. Uh, But like most passages, uh, there are bigger issues at play. And most significantly in this one, Uh, It's about the social order of things when it comes to seeking honour and avoiding shame. And so from this passage, I want to pick up uh, four themes uh, to do with humility, honour and shame. So the humbled, be humble, love the humbled, and the humbled will be lifted up. I think you can see a theme running through that. Uh, And it starts with uh, Jesus being invited to a dinner at this home of this prominent Pharisee. And it kind of shows the the conflicted relationship that Jesus has with the religious establishment. Because on one hand, they're really curious about this guy and what he has to say. On the other, they are often outraged at the way that he undermines their authority and his view of what it means to be a godly religious person. So as Jesus shares this meal uh, with these prominent people in society, 
Everyone's kind of watching him to sort of see what he will do. And it doesn't take long for an opportunity to come along because he's confronted by this man with dropsy, uh, which means that his body uh, holds a lot of fluid, which has obviously a physical pain consequence, uh, but also a social stigma attached to that. He's amongst the crippled and the lame. So he's the, the type of person who, at best, you would pity in society, uh, but at worst, they're the type of person you avoid altogether. Uh, and they're certainly not the sort of person you invite to a dinner. Uh, but this man has shown up. He might have been in, in the public sort of forecourt of the home. And as he comes, again, the people are watching, what's Jesus going to do with this man? Because he's a great teacher and it's the Sabbath. And so the law says you cannot work on the Sabbath. But it doesn't say what constitutes work. And so in Deuteronomy 5, it says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. So even though God's given a very clear commandment about not working on the Sabbath, uh, the, the religious leaders of the time don't really know what work is. And so they spent this inordinate amount of time going through every single little detail of life, trying to work out, is this or is this not work? And the basic rule of thumb was anything to do with creating uh, and labour was work. So quite literally, if you had a piece of paper in your pocket that could be used for writing, well, writing is part of work and therefore you cannot carry a piece of paper in your pocket or a piece of parchment uh, because that was part of work. But there are also some exceptions. So, for example, and we see it in this passage, if your donkey uh, or a child falls down a well, uh, then you're allowed to rescue them. So if it's life-threatening, then it's reasonable to help them out. But what about this situation with this man in front of them? And so Jesus asked them, uh, what is right to do? And of course, they don't know how to answer, you know, partly because they, they genuinely don't know how to answer, and partly because if they say yes, then they give authority to Jesus as a great teacher and lift his credibility even higher. If they say no then they risk putting the crowds offside because the people love Jesus. Uh, The Pharisees aren't so sure, but at this stage, the people think he's fantastic. And so they're left in this quandary. What what are we saying? Of course, they say nothing. And so after that, we've, we've leave this man behind and we then move on to look at our guests at the party. So this man came in shame, and he's leaving with honour, having been healed. And now he watches the guests as they try to vie for the best seating at the party. So here are these people vying for honour and shame. And so the, the rules of the game were that the closer you got to the host, the more honour you receive. And so as Jesus watches this all unfolding as they sort of shuffle their way up the room, He tells them this parable. 
says, when you're invited to a wedding, don't sit in the place of honour. Because if you do that, you might be outclassed by someone who is more distinguished than yourself. And if that happens, then the host is going to come up to you and say, excuse me, I don't think that's really quite your spot, uh, but that's okay, there's one right down the back next to the donkeys. Uh, And then, of course, you've got to get up and in front of all of the guests do the walk of shame down the table. So now you can imagine the, the, the modern equivalent, okay? So imagine turning up to a wedding and you've got no idea that there's like, you know, uh, you know seated tables, you know, with, with names on it. And so you walk in and there's all these round tables and there's this big long table at the front and you go, awesome, that's by far the best table in the house. And so you, you plonk yourself down and they've always got those really good little bread rolls. So you help yourself to one of those and uh, some Italian mineral water. Yeah, you know, wash it down, and you see people coming in, and and they're looking at you, and there's some whispers, and you think, "Yep, they're pretty impressed, aren't they?" <laughs> so, and then eventually, someone comes up to you and just says a quiet word in your ear, and the humiliation is complete. So, if you can imagine that humiliation, then you can imagine kind of the situation in the parable. There's some. There's a helpful saying that says it's better to underpromise and over-deliver than over-promise and under-deliver. And there's some real wisdom in that, isn't there? You know, if, uh, particularly in our Australian culture, we're not keen on people who talk themselves up. Uh, so if we boast about uh, how good we are in our work or how good we are in our hobbies or as a cook or if we boast about our children... Uh, then people then look at us with, with an expectation. And it's often, sadly, not a particularly gracious expectation. Uh, and they're kind of looking to see if we can genuinely deliver. And so rather than posturing ourselves as better than others, far wiser is to humble ourselves and let our deeds speak louder than our words. But verse 11 uh, is the real clincher in this section because the principle is bigger than just social etiquette. This is about honour and shame in God's economy. So verse 11, For all of those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I think uh, Psalm 73 paints a great picture of what it means to be uh, boastful in our world but humbled before God. Uh, This is what it says. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence." It's so easy, isn't it, to envy the secular world around us. Uh, sometimes uh, we even express, express it as outrage. You know, we're outraged at the world around us, but actually inside we're a little bit jealous. And we, you know, often as we look around people, we think, you know, they don't have the same burdens and responsibilities we have. You know, they can do whatever they want. There's no expectation to be generous or self-controlled or compassionate 
Uh, If there is no God holding them accountable, then they can live however they want. And at times it can look incredibly attractive. It just looks easier. And if they want to be generous, they can still be generous, but just on their terms. But we need to heed the warning of this passage. Whoever exalts themselves will be humbled. It may well be humbled in this life uh, where our sin and our arrogance catch up with us. And certainly, uh, if you watch the news, someone like uh, Harvey Weinstein would be uh, perhaps a a more famous example of that. Uh, Someone who at every single movie award ceremony was held up as almost a god uh, and now has been completely humiliated. Uh, But if not in this life, if our sins do not catch us up in this life, then they certainly will in the next. Uh, That we will one day stand before God and that we will be held accountable for our actions and our attitudes and our choices. So, so far, Jesus has shaken up the social status quo. Do not be arrogant and seek the place of honour Instead, be humble. But Jesus hasn't finished. Because not only should you humble yourself, you should lift the humbled up. So verse 12, then Jesus says to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The problem with honour in our culture is it's hierarchical. It's always done in comparison to others, and often it's done in expense to others. So if you're a host of a party, uh, we tend to invite people who will reflect well on us. Uh, They reflect who we want to be or who we aspire to. And the expectation is that there's reciprocity, that if I invite you to to my dinner or party, then you will invite me to yours. And sadly, I think behind this unwritten rule is this genuine belief that we are better than others. So whether we do it consciously or subconsciously, we tend to align ourselves with people who we feel are more like us. But Jesus says, don't live the cultural way. Live in a way that is profoundly different to our culture. Invite people who won't give you honour, who cannot pay you back, who will not improve your social standing. And of course, this isn't just to do with parties or luncheons. It's to do with all of life. You know, if you think about our life together as a church, you know, it's wonderful uh, that we are hospitable uh, in our church, that we welcome people in. Uh, It's great that we can take opportunities to invite people into our conversations uh, who perhaps uh, don't know everyone and and you invite them to, uh, you know, into that conversation. That's great. Uh, But life is more than just sort of this Sunday morning institutional setting. Uh, This is about all of life. Uh, This is about inviting people into your personal space. And I think that's a little more confronting, isn't it? And that takes more effort. 
Uh, it might be inviting someone to your home for a meal. Uh, if that's not an appropriate place to invite people, then it could be coffee in the square. It could be sitting on a park bench, you know, watching the pigeons. Uh, it's not about the where or the how, but about the who. Uh, who do we love? Who do we lift up? Who are perhaps the humbled who are finding life difficult, who we can get beside? There'll be no social kudos, there'll be no benefit for you. Simply, this is who we are called to be as Christians. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is what it means to be profoundly different to the culture around us. And it's not because of their social capacity, but simply because they are created in the image of God, just like us. And they are loved just like us. So, so far this meal has been a fantastic spectator sport. Uh, if you've been you know, watching what's happening in the dynamics of the room, Jesus has managed to pretty much offend everyone, uh, which hasn't taken long. Uh, and for his poor host, you can imagine how he's feeling because uh, he really does care about the honour of his peers. Uh, but just when you think it can't get any worse, uh, Jesus then takes it to a whole new special place. Uh, because one of his guests, uh, you know, raises the question, you know, always talk about banquets. And so he says, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Great words, absolutely true. And Jesus takes this invitation to talk about banquets and the kingdom of God uh, to tell a fantastically awkward parable. And so it's all about uh, this uh, owner, this ruler, who has prepared a feast. He's invited all the guests, they've accepted the invitation, and now the feast is ready. And so he sends out his servants to bring his guests in. And of course, one after the other, they all come up with excuses of why they cannot attend. But the humiliation here isn't about not attending the banquet. There's a humiliation of the host, that they have rejected his invitation. And, of course, this parable is really about the people in front of Jesus right now. This is about Israel. So Israel are God's chosen people. Uh, God has told them his kingdom is coming. Jesus is now here bringing the kingdom, and they are rejecting the king. They are rejecting the invitation that they promised to attend. And so what is the 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 master do he sends out his servants to find the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind the people who are humbled in society the people like our man at the beginning with dropsy Uh, these are the unacceptable people of society and yet they're the ones who are going to share in the banquet and in fact in this story we are more like the poor the crippled and the lame than the original guests Because God's promise was originally to Israel. Uh, They've rejected that promise, or at least some of them have. And so now God goes out to the whole world to gather his people into his kingdom. And all of this, again, is in the context of Jesus heading to the cross. So as he brings his kingdom, he's bringing healing to people, but more significantly, he's restoring humanity's relationship with our God. 
And so as Jesus dies on the cross, he pays the price for our sin, he covers over our sin, so we are presented holy and righteous. And if you think this is a pretty humiliating parable for the master, who's called his guests and have all made excuses, like I I went and bought some cows, uh, then imagine Jesus on the cross, uh, the eternal son of God, who dies on a cross before a mocking crowd. If you are the Christ, save yourself. And yet Jesus chooses humiliation so that we can have honour. I think humility is one of those things that's not uh, a particularly sought-after virtue these days. At best, it's naive. At worst, it's weak. You know, it really doesn't have a place in our modern Western culture where it's all about you and if you don't look after yourself, then no one else will. But Jesus calls us to be different to our culture. Jesus calls us as followers of Jesus to choose humility, to humble ourselves and to lift up the humbled. And the only way we're ever going to do that is when we recognise what Jesus has done for us. And so we're called to humble ourselves and give honour in the same way that Jesus has for us. Let me finish with the words of Paul because I think he captures this, uh, really the whole scope of this passage we've just looked at, but really succinctly. Uh, It's beautiful. So it's from Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let me pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the grace that you show us. Uh, But Lord, I pray uh, that we recognise that grace humbly uh, and that we recognise ourselves humbly before other people. And so rather than being proud and perhaps arrogant and thinking we are better than others, uh, help us to humble ourselves and to lift others up and to seek uh, their honour and their glory, uh, sometimes at the expense of ourselves. And so, Lord, we pray that through your spirit, you'll give us the strength and the wisdom to know how to do that. Amen.